I'm Dino Busalaki, the Chief Technology Officer and OT Guy at Delta Technology. Hi, I'm Jim, the COO and IT Guy. And I'm Craig Duckworth, President and CEO. You're listening to the Industrial Cybersecurity Insider Show. In each episode, we bring you the inside scoop on the world of industrial cybersecurity. We talk about everything you don't know. That you should know. So plug in and power up. The show's about to get started. Hi, my name is Dino Busalaki. I'm the Chief Technology Officer for Velta Technology. And my name is Craig Duckworth. I am the CEO of Velta Technology. And today we're going to be talking about missteps and common blunders in the industrial control space. Welcome, Dino. And there's plenty of them. Oh, there's more than plenty of them. The stories are astonishing. <laughs> well, known and unknown, right? I mean, the ones that are known are the ones that caused serious problems damage, environmental, people hurt, revenues lost. And then you have the ones that you don't hear about that under the surface, the client hasn't either acknowledged it, they view it as a ghost in the machine, or they just assume keep it pretty quiet that the fact that they may have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars today and aren't really sure what happened. So when you say ghost in the machine, help me understand that. I'm thinking Ghostbusters, and that's probably not really the case, is it? If you're not continuously monitoring your industrial control system activity, and I'm not talking from a SCADA perspective where you're monitoring the machine activity, right? Whatever recipe you're running or whatever project file you got going to make whatever goods you're making. I'm talking about the interaction of the data within those machines and who they're communicating with. So, and things that, that are impeding or impacting their ability to do what they need to do in a timely manner. For example, I had a client who lost an entire portion of their plant and it was a Siemens control system. What happened is the end result was the Siemens PLCs just wiped out all their IP addresses. So every one of these PLCs, 30 of them, set their IP addresses back to zero. And the client didn't know why it happened, weren't even really sure, but wanted to know if we could help them solve this problem. And we happened to have an OT IDS platform monitoring that plant. And what we found and what we picked up on was a rogue IT guy roaming around the plant with a laptop scanning the networks at the wrong time during a startup. That sounds like a bad thing. It is a bad thing. And it happens all the time. IT who are trying to do their due diligence, they're trying to do their best to get an asset inventory with assets that don't even normally speak the language with the software that they're using to collect this information. So they go about it when the scalpel is required and they're swinging a machete. And so what they did is that when these PLCs, these Siemens PLCs were coming up to, to be active, one of the things that they do, it's kind of an inverse of DHCP, they want to validate that the IP address that they have is valid and I can use it. So the server that they go to to get that approval was being inundated by an internal denial of service attack by what this IT guy had created by scanning the network. And you had a very short window in order to get approval for those PLCs to come up. Otherwise, they were going to fail safe. You know, now wiping out your IP address, you might consider it a bug. But regardless of it, when they couldn't get approval that the IP address that they had was valid and it could be used, they reset all their IP addresses. And they would have never known what had caused that problem had it not been for the monitoring of that environment with a technology of specific operational technology, OT, intrusion detection platform that understood the S7 protocols that the Siemens devices uses right at the application level to find this vulnerability that shut down the plant for a weekend. That sounds expensive. It is expensive. You're talking about millions of dollars in loss. And it happens all the time. For something as simple as the IT guy just didn't understand 
the implications of what he was doing and trying to do his job on the industrial network. He just didn't know. Right. You know, and, and I mean, we've even seen outside organizations, our government, the United States government has done the same thing. We've witnessed them pilfering around and scanning control system networks, trying to do due diligence and help clients out that can't hunt down Chinese malware they're trying to remove from Outlook servers, from mail servers. And so they come in and start scanning your entire network. Well, you know, I know you're looking for mail activity, malware around mail, but why are you on my control system network doing what you're doing? And in, in impeding and impacting my packaging lines in this particular case, because the DOD thought it was necessary, went out and got subpoenas from the DOJ in order to gain access into these environments and then told the client after the fact what they had to do to get in there. But they didn't really get into, well, what impact did you have to my production environment? Sounds like they didn't care what impact they had to the production environment. Well, they don't know what they don't know, right? And if you don't have these tools in place, and again, this just happened to be the fact that we were doing a pilot for a client and happened to catch these IP addresses that are assigned to the Department of Defense coming into this beverage plant and scanning their control system network. Maybe that's why my soft drink was so sugary that day. Yeah. But regardless, you know, you lose your filler. I know clients and you think of the alcohol industry, losing a packaging line and not putting that liquid in a can or a bottle, you're looking at 80 grand an hour in loss. When WannaCry came out, we had a steel plant in the Midwest. And once they realized that the vulnerabilities that they were trying to remove with SMB version one and that signature was out on one of these application servers that were running the SCADA systems for this plant, the CIO said, hey, you need to take that off the network. Tell them the plant manager, you got to get this off the network. And the plant manager's like, if we do that, we're going to shut the plant down. Yeah. That doesn't sound very easy to do. Well, it gets into this whole ITOT conversion that people talk about. This is a classic example of an ITOT collision where you got a CIO going, get that off the network, and you got a plant manager going, no, I'm not going to do that. And so the uh, remediation, mitigation activity slid to a different group. In this particular case, Rockwell Automation was involved in order to help them unwind the patching that was sitting there. This server hadn't been patched in years. It had dozens of patches sitting on it, waiting to be implemented if that box ever had been booted, which was another mistake that had been made that the IT folks had pushed down these patches inadvertently hitting the server. But I think that if you look at that, I think that that's typical in the OT space. You have 20, 30, 50, 100 patches from Patch Tuesday on the IT side that somebody in IT doesn't know, and they move it down and it sits there. And if anything happens, power blip or this situation, that server has to be taken offline. The minute it comes back, here they all come. Yeah, but the point is, is that the fact that neither side knows definitely what the situation is. They should be able to determine without a reasonable doubt the current status of those devices. For one, recognizing that you're not patching at a regular interval and working with your OEM and system integrator to make sure that that's being done. Number one. Number two, the fact that IT is, is unaware of the impacts that these things can have to these connected physical systems that run their manufacturing sites. How do you merge those two together? I, I was working at a job site. It was an automotive manufacturing facility, and they were bringing up a new press. They made wheels. And, you know, you're talking about a 
$35 million piece of equipment that was coming up and online and working at this facility. And one day, right in the middle of production, it just quit working. The control system quit functioning to run that wheel press. Well, after some troubleshooting, you know, bringing in partners to come help find them what was going on, it was a duplicate IP address. Seems pretty stupid, right? How do you end up with a duplicate IP address for something very critical? It was, again, this is the culture and the behavior of this particular manufacturing plant. Their process to determine IP addressing scheme was to ping the network to find out what devices did not respond. Seems logical. So I'm going to ping the network and say, if this IP address doesn't come back and there's no response, it must be available. So the IT guy assigned the IP address for the PLC for this wheel press. Well, what happened was there was a vending machine that was out for maintenance, a soda, that Coca-Cola slash Pepsi machine that was out for maintenance that was brought back and plugged back into the network. And it was using the same IP address as the wheel press. So if I hear you right, a vending machine where I can get a soda and a Snicker bar took down a $35 million wheel press? Yes. Oh, that's bad news. That made my candy bar a lot more expensive. For a day, right? For a day. So again, hundreds of thousands of dollars in loss. There's no time capsule to get in to make up for the lost production. I'm paying salaries. I'm consuming resources. I've got trucks waiting. I got all this other activity going out there on hold that I'm spending money on because I'm not making goods. It's amazing penetration testing. IT likes to go out and do their due diligence and hire a pen testing group. And the pen testing group's job is to come in and look for the vulnerabilities in your environment. Well, why are you letting them look for vulnerabilities in your manufacturing environment when you're producing goods? Sure, the pen testers know to stop when they hit the industrial network, don't they? They don't know the difference between a PLC and a printer. Oh, that's their first problem. And so they're scanning the network and hammering it and shutting the plant down. That's problem number one for these organizations that go out and hire pen testing groups and not are recognized. And the hammer manufacturer, you do know the difference between OT and IT. And I want you to stay away from my OT environment. Well, then how do you learn about what the vulnerabilities and the assets and the risks that you have on the plant floor if you're not doing your due diligence from that fashion? So then a lot of organizations, what they'll do is like, well, we'll have the pen testers do their thing when the plants shut down, like some big maintenance schedule. No, everything's offline. It's not running. There's no activity or little. That's the easiest pen test in the world. Right. Look, everything's perfect. Again, it's taking an IT practice and mindset and applying it to an environment that is becoming disruptive or the value is not there. Right. What you're getting. You can't do that. They're completely different environments. They need to be treated differently. Organizations need to understand the different risk and the different tools and technologies to apply to them in order to prevent some of these things. You know, the last thing an organization wants is a vending machine taking down production for a weekend. That they do. And there are groups out there who say, well, that doesn't happen to us. It's like, well, I would say if you don't have the right tools in place that's paying attention and uncovering that stuff, you don't know. True statement. It's just a fact. Because IT, I mean, if you look at them, they do everything in their power to make sure that they have accurate asset inventory, up-to-date asset inventory, S-bombs, multiple, you know, defensible uh, architectures in place within their systems with multi-factor authentication, segmentation, VLANs, firewalls, et cetera, you know. And so how do you move that same governance and policy and architectures into the control system environment and do it in a way that's not disruptive and at the same time culturally? politically, organizationally be bipartisan. 
and not partisan. Because you, you get into some groups, they just they don't play well together. It's very common. It just is. And organizations, in my view, have not put forth their best foot to apply the same amount of due diligence to secure and protect that control system environment as they do the enterprise. And I think that there would be, in my little experience of PLCs, there's the ability to read and the ability to write. And there's got to be a way to distinguish what they're giving them, you know, so that somebody doesn't come in and just make a change remotely when they're not familiar with them or shouldn't be changing it at all. All right. Well, it's like default passwords sitting out there in the plant on printers. No way. You mean that they leave those there? Or cameras. And you have to ask yourself, at the end of the, who owns the asset? I mean, if you're not hooked into the right spot in that manufacturing environment, because you have to look at your industrial control system architectures from your PLCs to your network that these things operate on. And there are devices in there that are within levels of that industrial network that are not visible to some of the IT tools that are in the mix. That makes sense to me. Because the PLC architecture that many, many manufacturers and their OEMs and system integrators have deployed is they've taken their controller, that PLC, and turned it into a network segmentation device. They put multiple network cards in it. Oh, like a secret hidden network down below maybe. Right. It might have three or four network cards on it, and it'll have one network connection up to a level that where the firewall may be and where you can get to applications like historians or MES systems or that type of stuff where there is some remote access for engineering workstations, what have you. But then that's just at one spot. That other Ethernet card and that third Ethernet card are running interlock and I.O. networks that are in there that you can't get to because you can't walk across the backplane of the PLC with a Rapid7 or with some other intrusion detection prevention tool on the IT side because it'd be manipulating the PLC. And you'd have to understand the wide range of proprietary industrial protocols to do that. Rockwell SIP, ENEP, S7 with Siemens, Delta V with Demerson, you know, Modbus TCP, all on and on and on and on, all these industrial protocols that are foreign languages to IT tool sets. Well, you would think that if that were the case, all these organizations that have firewalls in place that can't clearly understand some of those industrial protocols, that they would stop that communication because they don't know what it is. And that'd be a horrible idea. You know, all the stuff we see in the news all day, every day, all these companies have been hacked. I'm pretty sure they all got firewalls. They ain't stopping anything. They do. So the firewall is not the answer. It's one of the answers. It's a piece. There's many other things that you need to do besides just laying a firewall there. And unfortunately, a lot of manufacturers will do that. They'll put a firewall somewhere in the mix and call it a day. Yeah, we've heard years and years, defense in depth, defense in depth. There's got to be a multi-approach. It can't just be one. There's not a silver bullet. And it sounds like that's true. Right. And you also have to recognize that the control system environment has these vulnerabilities. People, it's almost like they look for excuses to be able to say, well, how many PLCs have actually been attacked? We don't want to do anything. Why do we have to go through all this extra work? Because they're not really attacking control systems. Well, how do you know that if you're not watching it? And the other thing I would say is when it comes to process integrity, it's like PLC changes that happen every day, all day in manufacturing facilities. Do you want to know that? Do you want to know if somebody made a PLC change, whether it's internal or external? Don't you think that you'd want to be able to track that? A lot of companies don't do that. Now, you might have somebody that's a Rockwell shop and is using Asset Center, which is a great tool for tracking what I'm describing around changes to your control system and inventory. But that's not for everything in your plan. And I've yet to find any manufacturer that's got a single automation technology vendor in there. They usually have several. Rockwell just happens to be one of them. But I would say, you know what, Dino? 
that doesn't really matter because I'm air-gapped. Nothing comes in and out of my environment. Another myth. They believe that. There's a lot of them have that, and they'll have Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, USB ports. Again, that PLC architecture I described with the multiple network cards in it, remote access into the environment. COVID kicked the door open on that, giving carte blanche access into these environments. And now I get in, and I'm states away, countries away, and I'm accessing your control system environment, and I'm supposed to be working on the filler on line one. And now I can see everything in the plant once I'm inside and every packaging line, everything in utilities, everything in mixing and blending reactors, et cetera. I have full access in most cases. If I go into 10 plants, eight of them will let me take the laptop I'm talking to you on right now and connect it into their network. Nobody scans it or looks at it to make sure that it's clean. That sounds like a very loose change policy management that it just allows the wild, wild west to happen every single day. Well, and this gets back to the whole ITOT conundrum relationship. Or collision. Well, because IT would say, well, that goes against policy. And they would be 100% correct. It goes against policy. But the user that's coming in, the the maintenance guy that's showing up Sunday at 10 o'clock to go work on some device in the plant, he's not on the same plan. Nobody's telling him what he needs to do in order to check this out. And and most of the time, they have really expensive uh, software on their computers to be able to interact with these control systems. So it's really hard to have an inventory of laptops, for instance, laying around for people to come in and use for this type of work because the project files that they have, the proprietary software that they have. So they have to, in most cases, use their own computers. But that doesn't mean that you can't say, well, before you connect it into our environment, you have to scan it and you have to run, you know, whether it's some EDR technology on it, take Stellar Protect, for example, and run it on that industrial HMI or that engineering workstation that they're getting ready to work on. But I would go back and I would say one thing he said is he's not on the same page of what he needs to do. Someone's telling him what to do and his instructions are get in here right now and fix this machine because it's costing us X amount of money every minute that it's down, and his marching orders may not align with those of the security team possibly, but he knows exactly what he's tasked to do, and and he's going to do it regardless. Well, again, IT would be normally if a maintenance activity was required for a computer to be on site, and it's somebody, one of their vendors, they're going to make them go through that process. In this particular case, you got a plant operations facilities management team working with their vendor to come in and fix that wheel press. And there's no contact to IT. There's no phone call to them to go do this work. It's it's, it's a silo in that particular case. Should there be policies, procedures around that? If you were to say, hey, here's a best practice to make sure that they don't do that. What would it look like? Well, it gets back to those five ICS critical controls. You have defensible architectures. You have vulnerability management risk. You have continuous monitoring. You have remote access. Incident response is the other one. It's IR. So the question is, are you guys working together on those five ICS critical control points? And that'd be a good way for IT and OT to work together, especially on incident response, especially on defensible architectures, helping them organize the vulnerability and risk management based on the asset inventory that's out there, remote access into the environment. So there are touch points where they could work more in a bipartisan way and be successful 
versus IT saying, this is a tool you're going to use and you're going to like it. And OT just saying whatever and ignoring them or OT trying to go out and get whatever they want and not working with IT to say, hey, how does this fit within your environment? Can we integrate this to your SIM? Can we integrate this to the SOC tools and the firewalls that you have? Can we sit down and have this discussion? Here's what we're trying to accomplish. You want to try to get that two-way conversation going. And it's hard because if you're a major manufacturer, but just any manufacturer that's got a dozen, 20, 30, 40, 100 plants in your fleet, no two are the same. And so you really need to rely on that tribal knowledge, that local group of people who understand all of the things that are in that plant, how it operates, how those machines work, the technology that's being used, the supply chain ecosystem of OEMs and system integrators that come in and out of that plant to help maintain it. It has to be done at the local level in many cases. So think about the size and the scope if you have 100 plants in your fleet and what kind of resources required to do that. That's an awful lot. There's a lot of time and a lot of effort. Years, possibly. Yeah, and if you think that you're just going to pick a couple people and say, you're going to be my OT cybersecurity team, and you pick two people, and they're sitting in corporate somewhere. 50 people, 50 plants a person. That makes sense, doesn't it? These plants can be huge, right? And you're talking about, you know, literally thousands of devices out there in these manufacturing environments on the OT side or the IOT side that requires a level of knowledge to go through this to determine how do I cast the widest net that I can to get the asset inventory in this plant so I can start organizing my security posture. I would go back, though, and I would say these CIOs and these organizations are doing that every day on the IT side. Why aren't they doing it on the OT side? Why the struggle? Are they not doing the same amount of due diligence? They can't be. But they understand the method. They are practicing it every day on the IT side. They're refreshing data centers and technology every three to five years. I look at the OT side of the operations and industrial controls. Some of that stuff is 30, 40 years old. It's not the same. Yeah. Do you think IT is interested in going out there and helping them do recontrol on Windows 7 or Windows XP machines or managers support that stuff? No, probably not. I mean, if you ask the CISO, do you have any Windows 7 machines or XP machines in your environment? And they're going to probably tell you no until you point them out on the plant floor. Then what's their answer? Like, oh, I forgot about those. Well, those don't matter. Those aren't in my purview. That's not my responsibility. But when you start thinking about the risk, it's rolling up. I mean, these CFOs and CEOs and the people that own the risk are starting to get into the hot seat in regards to the impact of a, a ransomware attack or a business interruption. You can't run your facilities because your machines are locked up. They've been bricked. How's IT going to help you through that? I would say from a business interruption, one thing that organizations need to look at is insurance. Today, in the environment, they're looking to try and use it as a backstop. It's hard to get it, and it's very expensive, so they need to make sure that they understand that environment. Right. Well, casinos. MGM? Was it MGM? Was it MGM that their insurance was paying? Yeah, insurance. Yeah, MGM, just they disclosed $100 million, and they expect the insurance company to pay it all. Right. You know, and the casino floor is a lot like a plant floor. It's revenue generating. So in that particular case, you've got clients, business interruption, cybersecurity insurance is going to cover that. And a lot of manufacturers can't get cybersecurity insurance. Just can't get it. So unless you're making money hand over fist and blips, if you lose $50 million here and there. The casinos do. That's all they do is make money. They print it almost. Better than the feds. Well, so does a plant that's making goods. I was talking to a plant manager at a drywall company this summer, and he basically said, yeah, I just print money all day, every day. That's what he does. Look at the housing boom. I can see why he said that. But if he loses his plant floor, now he's losing hundreds of thousands of dollars a day or an hour, whatever the case may be. So again, how are you going to protect that? 
this industry is going to have to get better at it. Well, I would think that as they start to navigate those waters, outsourcing teams like Felta has and other organizations to try and augment and supplement some of that talent because talent is hard to come by. We see that every day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how are you going to find somebody who's a cybersecurity professional, really top-notch, got the certifications, who wants to work in the backwoods of Missouri and some plant out there that's making tires? You know, where are you going to find that caliber of an individual out there? So you're going to have to rely on different methodologies to do that. And it requires some really significant research on the tools that are available. At least in the last several years, we've got tools that have come out of the market that were designed and geared specifically for industrial control systems. And that's what we need. I think that the frameworks and the procedures per se can be equated across IT and OT. The technologies and the tools and how you implement them, I think that's where the dividing line draws. No, you have to have practitioners, people that are familiar and accustomed to working in an industrial environment. They don't mind doing it because that's where the work is. If you're going out there to pop open 100 panels at one plant to see what's in there, to do the inventory, to determine how am I going to put a collection server or a sensor within that panel to collect this metadata that's circling around on the PLCs and the drives and the HMI that's in there, the panel view and some other switches and networking equipment. If you don't get out there and go look at that, to determine how you're going to put that sensor in there to collect that information and get it to your platform so you can have an accurate, up-to-date inventory, number one, to help populate with more rich data around your vulnerability management situation, to determine how am I going to put defensible architecture around this environment. You know, and I think some people will say, well, go back to air gap. Nothing is air gap. Nothing. I mean, if I can walk in there with my laptop and connect it into your network, you're not air-gapped. Yeah, I can see that. But also look at it. IT's had a 20-year head start, 30-year head start. And I equate it to me in the last 15 years, I like to eat. Put on some extra pounds. Took me 20 years to get there. I can't expect to go on a diet tomorrow and have it all gone by Christmas so that I can start eating again. It's going to take some time to catch up. Well, but you got to start somewhere. Well, there is that. If I just keep eating, I can't expect it to just melt right off, can it? Oh, but my take on it is you need to start somewhere. You need to make the determination, what is missing out of my portfolio of tools that I need to continue my journey on cybersecurity? And in the industrial control space, it's a big gaping hole for most organizations. When I say most, 80 plus percent. Yeah, you said one thing right there that really caught my attention, Dino, and that's it's a journey. This is not an overnight process. This is a marathon. This is the long haul. This is going to take some time. And organizations have to start thinking about that investment and how they're going to continue doing that. No, fantastic. I think that it definitely makes sense. These are a lot of the things that we're seeing that the partners are bringing to us right now. The technologies that you mentioned earlier, purpose built for the OT space technologies that are driven for that industrial networks. That's where we do it. How do we advise our clients to get some help? What would you recommend? To get safer sooner? Yeah, that's a plus. Yeah. You don't want to go and learn the procedures and policies 30 minutes after you had an incident. That's not when you want to do it. Well, you have to assign somebody within that OT space, and probably at each plant, the role of being the OT cybersecurity person, just like they have safety people at the facilities, right? They have responsibility for safety activities and procedures and policies, whether it's hazardous materials coming in and out of the plant, how you handle that, 
to working in that vent, hot work, high work, all this type of stuff that you get done in the plant. There are specific procedures for you to work in that plant to be safe. Well, you need to do the same thing when it comes to cybersecurity around your control systems. You need to have to have a person or a group of people define there that know that if a new machine center comes in, what they need to do to get it connected into their cybersecurity platform. For those machine centers that they have out there, they need to determine how to mitigate and remediate to get them into those types of programs and within that environment, those technologies. And then review the data that comes out. Determine, can I patch? Do I need a micro segment? Can I put EDR on these HMIs? You know, can I get some endpoint protection? down here. There are different avenues of conversations that need to be had when these things are coming because IT doesn't have the breadth and depth to be able to deal with all the interaction in these manufacturing facilities. They just don't have it. Right. And it sounds like, you know, we could talk about this for hours and hours and probably days. As we kind of wrap up here, is there one piece of advice or one thing that you could say would make the most sense? Because the stories could go on and on and on. And it's as funny as they are, they're not when it's happening in the moment, when it's affecting production, what parting words can we give an organization that's listening to try and take that next step to do something? Back to your point, you have to start somewhere. Where's the somewhere? What can they do? A tabletop exercise with the right people in the organization, the C-suite, the IT leadership, the OT leadership, and sit down and go through scenarios like incident response. How do you find these gaps that you have? You know how I am. I like showing pictures of the inside of these panels. We are from Missouri. This is a show me state. And I show that to the teams. And when the IT guys are looking at that stuff, they're like, yeah, that's not our stuff. And the executives are going, well, wait a minute. I thought you were the cybersecurity team for all of our technology. It's like, I didn't think that stuff was in my purview. And the OT guys are sitting there going, well, we're not the cybersecurity guys. I don't have the budget. I don't have the resources. It's not my responsibility. Or is it? I would say it is. OT needs to kind of grow up and mature and start taking ownership on this. So there's cultural challenges, there's organizational challenges, there's behavioral challenges, and then you got to start looking at the technologies that are there. They're available. So go find those organizations that are in this field specializing in OT cybersecurity and start talking to them. Learn from them. You take our organization, you take me. I've been in hundreds of manufacturing facilities in my career, hundreds. I know what I'm looking at when I walk into a plant. You can tell the difference in a uh, a wheel press and a vending machine? I can tell a lot by just your control system, whether it's DCS, whether it's SCADA or discrete or batch. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that I can go through to determine. Then I look at your tools and I look at your metrics, you know, and I look at the resources that you have to determine whether you're, you're still navel gazing, as we like to call it with some of these organizations, or you actually starting to make some inroads and make some positive steps. Perfect. I would say it's a great place, a great ending point and a fantastic opportunity for someone to take steps to get safer sooner. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Industrial Cybersecurity Insider Podcast. To stay up to date with our latest episodes, be sure to click the follow or subscribe button now. And if you found this podcast helpful or have a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave us a review or let us know. If you're interested in learning more about Velta technology and how you can get safer sooner, visit beltatech.com. That's B-E-L-T-A tech.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.